0: A Bite of Stars, A Slug of Time, and Thou.
1: And came down in Paris. Where we raced along the Rue de Medici with Beau and Lou and Muse inside the fence, Kelly and me outside, making faces through the bars, making noise, making the Luxembourg gardens roar at two in the morning, then climbed out and down to the square in front of St. Sulpice, where Beau tried to knock me into the fountain. At which point, Kelly noticed what was going on around us, got an ash can cover, and ran into the pissoir banging the walls. Five guys scooted out. Even a big pissoir only holds four. "'A very blond young man put his hand on my arm and smiled. "'Don't you think, Spacer, that you people should leave?' "'I looked at his hand on my blue uniform. "'Es que tu es un "'His eyebrows rose, and he shook his head. "'Un fralque,' he corrected. "'No, I am not. "'Sadly for me, you look as though you may have once been a man, "'but now,' he smiled, "'you have nothing for me now. "'The police,' he nodded across the street i noticed the gendarmerie for the first time they do us you are strangers so but muse was already yelling hey come on let's get out of here huh and left and went up again and came down in houston god damn Muse said gemini flight control you mean this is where it all started let's get out of here please so took a bus out through pasadena Then the model line to Galveston, and we were going to take it down the Gulf, but Lou found a couple with a pickup truck. Glad to give you a ride, Spacers. You people up there on them planets and things doing all that good work for the government. Who were going south, them and the baby. So we rode in the back for 250 miles of sun and wind. You think they're Frelks? Lou asked, elbowing me. I bet they're Frelks. They're just waiting for us to give them a come on. Cut it out. They're a nice stupid pair of country kids. That don't mean they ain't Frelks. You don't trust anybody, do you? No. And finally, a bus again that rattled us through Brownsville and across the border into Matamoros, where we staggered down the steps into the dust and the scorched evening with a lot of Mexicans and chickens and Texas Gulf shrimp fishermen who smelled the worst, and we shouted the loudest. Forty-three whores, I counted, had turned out for the shrimp fishermen, and by the time we had broken two of the windows in the bus station, they were all laughing. The shrimp fishermen said they wouldn't buy us no food, but would get us drunk if we wanted, because that was the custom with shrimp fishermen. But we yelled, broke another window, and then, while I was lying on my back on the telegraph office steps, singing, a woman with dark lips bent over and put her hands on my cheeks. You are very sweet. Her rough hair fell forward. But the men, they are standing around and watching you. Sadly, their time is our money. Spacer, do you not think you... "'People should leave.' "'I grabbed her wrist.
0: "'Usted,'
1: I whispered,
2: "'Usted es una fralca.
1: "'Frelco an Español.' "'She smiled and patted the sunburst "'that hung from my belt buckle. "'Sorry, but you have nothing "'that would be useful to me. "'It is too bad for you. you. "'Look like you were once a woman, no? "'And I like women, too.' "'I rolled off the porch. "'Is this a drag or is this a drag?' "'Muse was shouting. "'Come on, let's go!' "'We managed to get back to Houston before dawn somehow "'and went up and came down in Istanbul. "'That morning it rained in Istanbul. "'At the commissary, we drank our tea from pear-shaped glasses, "'looking out across the Bosphorus. "'The prince's islands lay like trash heaps before the prickly city. "'Who knows their way in this town?' Kelly asked. "'Aren't we going out together?' Muse demanded. "'I thought we were going out around together.' "'They held up the check at the purser's office,' Kelly explained. "'I'm flat broke!' I think the purse has got it in for me, and shrugged. Don't want to, but I'm going to have to hunt up a rich frelk and come on friendly. Went back to the tea, then noticed how heavy the silence had become. Oh, come on now. You gape at me like that. I'll bust every bone in that carefully conditioned from puberty body of yours. Hey, you, meaning me, don't give me that holier than now gawk like you never went with no frelk. It was starting. I'm not gawking, I said, and got quietly mad. The longing, the old longing. Bo laughed to break tensions. Say, last time I was in Istanbul, about a year before I joined up with this platoon, I remember we were coming out of Taksim Square down Istikla, Istiklal, just past all the cheap movies. We found a little passage lined with flowers. Now, ahead of us were two other spacers. It's a market in there. And farther down, they got fish and in a courtyard with oranges and candy and sea urchins and, and cabbage, but uh, flowers in front. Anyway, we noticed something funny about the spacers, right? It wasn't their uniforms. They were perfect. The haircuts? Fine. It wasn't until we heard them talking, they were a man and a woman dressed up like spacers, trying to pick up Frelks. Imagine. <laughs> Queer for Frelks. Yeah, said. i have seen that before. There was a lot of them in real. We beat hell out of them too. Bo concluded. We got them in a side street and went to town. Muses' tea glass clicked on the counter. From Taksim down Istiklal till you get to the flowers? Now why didn't you say that? That's where the Frelks were, huh? A smile on Kelly's face would have made that okay. There was no smile. Hell, Lou said. Nobody ever had to tell me what a look. I go out in the street and Frelks smell me coming. I can spot them halfway along Piccadilly. Don't they have nothing but tea in this place? Where can you get a drink? Beau grin. Muslim country, remember? But down at the end of the flower passage, there's a lot of little bars with green doors and Marble counters where you can get a liter of beer for about 15 cents in lira. And there's all these stands selling deep, fat, fried bugs and pig's gut sandwiches. You ever notice how Frelk's can put it away? I mean liquor, not pig's guts. And launched off into a lot of appeasing stories. We ended with the one about the Frelk some spacer tried to roll who announced, There are two things I go for. One is spacers, the other a good fight. But they only allay. They cure nothing. Even Muse knew we would spend the day apart now. The rain had stopped, so we took the ferry up the Golden Horn. Kelly straight off asked for Taxium Square, an istiklal, and was directed to a dolmush, which we discovered was a taxicab. only it just goes one place and picks up lots and lots of people on the way, and it's cheap. Lou headed off over Atatürk Bridge to see the sights of New City. Beau decided to find out what the dolmabosh really was, and when Muse discovered you could go to Asia for 15 cents, one lira and 50 kruish, well... Muse decided to go to Asia. I turned through the confusion of traffic at the head of the bridge and up past the gray, dripping walls of Old City beneath the trolley wires. There are times when yelling and helling won't fill the lack. I mean, there are times when you must walk by yourself because it hurts so much to be alone. I walked up a lot of little streets with wet donkeys and wet camels and women in veils and down a lot of big streets with buses and trash baskets and men in business suits. Some people stare at spacers. Some people don't. Some people stare or don't stare in a way a spacer gets to recognize within a week after coming out of training school at 16. I was walking in the park when I caught her watching. She saw me see and looked away. I ambled down the wet asphalt. She was standing under the arch of a small, empty mosque shell. As I passed, she walked out into the courtyard among the cannons. Excuse me, I stopped. Do you know whether or not this is the shrine of St. Irene? Her English was charmingly accented. I've left my guidebook home. Sorry, I'm a tourist, too. Oh, she smiled. I am Greek. I thought you might be Turkish because you were so dark. American Red Indian. I nodded. Her turn to curtsy. I see. I have just started at the university here in Istanbul. Your uniform, it tells me that you are... And in the pause, all speculations resolved. A spacer. I was uncomfortable, yeah. I put my hands in my pockets, moved my feet around on the soles of my boots, licked my third from the rear left molar, did all the things you do when you're uncomfortable. You're so exciting when you look like that, a frog told me once. Yeah, I am. I said it too sharply, too loudly, and she jumped a bit. So now she knew I knew, she knew I knew, and I wondered how we would play out the Proust bit. "'I'm Turkish,' she said. "'I'm not Greek. "'I'm not just starting. "'I'm a graduate in art history here at the university. "'These little lies one makes for strangers "'to protect one's ego. "'Why? "'Sometimes I think my ego is very small.' "'That's one strategy.' "'How far away do you live?' I asked. "'And what's the going rate in Turkish lira?' "'That's another.' "'I can't pay you,' she pulled her raincoat around her hips. "'She was pretty. "'I would like to.' She shrugged and smiled, but I am a poor student, not a rich one. If you want to turn around and walk away, there will be no hard feelings. It shall be sad though. I stayed on the path. I thought she'd suggest a price after a little while. She didn't. And that's another. I was asking myself, what do you want the damn money for anyway, when a breeze upset water from one of the park's great cypresses? I think the whole business is sad. She wiped drops from her face. There had been a break in her voice, and for a moment I looked too closely at the water streaks. I think it's sad that they have to alter you to make you a spacer. If they hadn't, then we... If spacers had never been, then we could not be the way we are. Did you start out male or female? Another shower. I was looking at the ground, and droplets went down my collar. Male, I said. It doesn't matter. How old are you, Twenty-three, twenty-four. Twenty-three, I lied. It's a reflex. It's twenty-five, but the younger they think you are, the more they pay you. But I didn't want her damn money! I guessed right then, she nodded. Most of us are experts on spacers. Did you find that? I suppose we have to be. She looked at me with wide black eyes. At the end of the stare, she blinked rapidly. You would have been a fine man, but now you are a spacer. Building water conservation units on Mars? programming mining computers on Ganymede, servicing communication relay towers on the moon, the alteration. Frelks are the only people I've ever heard say the alteration with so much fascination and regret. You'd think they'd have found some other solution They could have found another way than neutering you, turning you into creatures not even androgynous, things that are... I put my hand on her shoulder and she stopped like I'd hit her. She looked to see if anyone was near. Lightly, so lightly, then, she raised her hand to mine. I pulled my hand away. That are what? They could have found another way. Both hands in her pockets now. They could have, yes. Up beyond the ionosphere, baby, there's too much radiation for those precious gonads to work right anywhere. You might want to do something that would keep you there over 24 hours like the moon or Mars or the satellites of Jupiter. They could have made protective shields. They could have done more research into biological adjustment. Population explosion time, I said. No, they were hunting for any excuse to cut down kids back then, especially deformed ones. Ah, yes, she nodded we're still fighting our way up from the neo-Puritan reaction to the sex freedom of the 20th century. It was a fine solution. I grinned and hung my hand over my crotch. I'm happy with it. I've never known why that's so much more obscene when a spacer does it. Stop it, she snapped, moving away. What's the matter? Stop it, she repeated. Don't do that. You're a child. But they choose us from children whose sexual responses are hopelessly retarded at puberty. And your childish, violent substitutes for love? I suppose that's one of the things that's attractive. Yes, I know you're a child. Yeah? What about frelks? She thought for a while. I think they're the sexually retarded ones they miss. Perhaps it was the right solution. You really don't regret you have no sex? We've got you, I said. Yes, she looked down. I glanced to see the expression she was hiding. It was a smile. You have your glorious... Soaring life. And you have us. Her face came up. She glowed. You spin in the sky. The world spins under you. You step from land to land while we... She turned her head right, left, and her black hair curled and uncurled on the shoulder of her coat. We have our dull, circled lives bound in gravity, worshipping you. She looked back at me. Perverted, yes? "'In love with a bunch of corpses in free fall?' "'She suddenly hunched her shoulders. "'I don't like having a free-fall sexual displacement complex.' "'That always sounded like too much to say.' "'She looked away. "'I don't like being a frelk. Better?' "'I wouldn't like it either. Be something else. "'You don't choose your perversions. "'You have no perversions at all. "'You're free of the whole business. "'I love you for that, Spacer. "'My love starts with the fear of love. "'Isn't that beautiful?' A pervert substitutes something unattainable for normal love. The homosexual, a mirror. The fetishist, a shoe or a watch or a girdle. Those with freefall sexualis, frelks. Frelks, substitute, she looked at me sharply again, loose swinging meat. That doesn't offend me. I wanted it to. Why? You don't have desires. You wouldn't understand. Go on. I want you because you can't want me. That's the pleasure. If someone really had a sexual reaction to us, we'd be scared away. I wonder how many people there were before there were you, waiting for your creation. We're necrophiles. I'm sure grave robbing has fallen off since you started going up, but you don't understand. She paused. If you did, then I wouldn't be scuffing leaves now and trying to think from whom I could borrow 60 lira. She stepped over the knuckles of a root that had cracked the pavement. And that, incidentally, is the going rate in Istanbul. I calculated. Things still get cheaper as you go east. You know, and she let her raincoat fall open. You're different from the others. At least you want to know. I said, if I spat on you for every time you'd said that to a spacer, you'd drown. Go back to the moon, loose meat. She closed her eyes. Swing on up to Mars. There's satellites around Jupiter where you might do some good. Go up and come down in some other city. Where do you live? You want to come with me? Give me something, I said. Give me something. It doesn't have to be worth 60 lyric. Give me something you like. Anything of yours that means something to you. No. Why not? Because I don't want to give up part of that small ego. None of you frogs do. You really don't understand. I just don't want to buy you. You have nothing to buy me with. You're a child, she said. "'I love you.' "'We reached the gate of the park. "'She stopped, and we stood time enough "'for a breeze to rise and die in the grass. "'I,' she offered tentatively, "'pointing without taking her hand from her coat pocket, "'I live right down there. "'All right,' I said. "'Let's go.' "'A gas main had once exploded along this street,' "'she explained to me. "'A gushing road of fire as far as the docks, "'over-hot and over-quick. "'It had been put out within minutes.' No building had fallen, but the charred fasces glittered. This is sort of an artist and student quarter. We crossed the cobbles. Yuri Pasha, number 14, in case you're ever in Istanbul again. Her door was covered with black scales. The gutter was thick with garbage. A lot of artists and professional people are frelks, I said, trying to be inane. So are lots of other people. She walked inside and held the door. We're just more flamboyant about it. On the landing, there was a portrait of Ataturk. Her room was on the second floor. Just a moment while I get my key. Marscapes. Moonscapes. (laughs) On her easel was a six-foot canvas showing the sunrise flaring on a crater's rim. There were copies of the original observer pictures of the moon pinned to the wall and pictures of every smooth-faced general in the International Spacer Corps. On one corner of her desk was a pile of those photo magazines about spacers that you can find in most kiosks all over the world. I've seriously heard people say that they were printed for adventurous-minded high school children. They've never seen the Danish ones. She had a few of those, too. There was a shelf of art books, art history texts. Above them were six feet of cheap paper-covered space operas. Sin on Space Station 12. Rocket rake. Savage orbit. Iraq? she asked. Ouzo or perno? You've got your choice, but I may pour them all from the same bottle. She set out glasses on the desk, then opened a waist-high cabinet that turned out to be an icebox. She stood up with a tray of lovelies, fruit puddings, Turkish delight, braised meats. What's this? Dolmares, grape leaves filled with rice and pignoli. Say it again. Dolmares comes from the same Turkish word as dolmush; They both mean stuffed. She put the tray beside the glasses. Sit down. I sat on the studio couch that becomes bed. Under the brocade, I felt the deep, fluid resilience of a glycogel mattress. They've got the idea that it approximates the feeling of freefall. Comfortable? Would you excuse me for a moment? I have some friends down the hall. I want to see them for a moment, she winked. They like spacers. Are you going to take up a collection for me, I asked. Or do you want them to line up outside the door and wait their turn? She sucked a breath. Actually, I was going to suggest both. Suddenly she shook her head. Oh, what do you want? What will you give me? I want something, I said. That's why I came. I'm lonely. Maybe I want to find out how far it goes. I don't know yet. It goes as far as you will. Me? I study. I read. Paint. Talk with my friends. She came over to the bed and sat down on the floor. Go to the theater. Look at spacers who pass me on the street. Till one looks back. I'm lonely too. She put her head on my knee. I want something, but... And after a minute, neither of us had moved. You're not the one who will give it to me. You're not going to pay me for it, I countered. You're not, are you? On my knee, her head shook. After a while, she said, all breath and no voice, Don't you think you should leave? Okay, I said, and stood up. She sat back on the hem of her coat. She hadn't taken it off yet. I went to the door. Incidentally, she folded her hands in her lap. There is a place in New City you might find what you're looking for called the Flower Passage. I turned towards her, angry. The Frelk Hangout? Look, I don't need money. I said anything would do. I I don't want... She began to shake her head, laughing quietly. Now she lay her cheek on the wrinkled place where I had sat. Do you persist in misunderstanding? It is a spacer hangout. When you leave, I'm going to visit my friends and talk about... Ah, yes, the beautiful one that got away. I thought you might find perhaps someone you know. With anger, it ended. Oh, I said. Oh, it's a spacer hangout. Yeah, well, thanks. And went out and found the flower passage and Kelly and Lou and Bo and Muse. Kelly was buying beer, so we all got drunk and ate fried fish and fried clams and fried sausage. And Kelly was waving the money around saying, you should have seen him. The changes I put that frelk through, you should have seen him. 80 lira is the going right here. And he gave me 150 and drank more beer and went up. That was I and Gomorrah by Samuel R. Delaney, written in 1966. In the studio with me are Mark Sinker, my fellow host, and our guest, Victoria Dereka. And um, I would like to ask you, first of all, Victoria, what, what happens in the story? Just tell, I mean, in a, on, just on a basic plot level. <laughs> like w- it
3: has a basic <laughs> plot level. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I get the thankless task. The, the, materi- <laughs> the
1: material things that happen in this story.
3: Okay. I have read it a few times now, although I'm quite new to the story, so I'm sure I am going to miss quite a bit. But
1: well, Our have... listeners are even newer than we are. so
3: Okay, cool. Let's hope so. <laughs> Spacers who seem to be a kind of interplanetary sex, military with no gender, come down in Paris, Mexico, Istanbul, and get up to hijinks in neighborhoods of the night, break windows, um, interestingly, threaten the sort of economic position of prostitutes. Um, In Istanbul, one spacer meets uh, Frelk, who says she's Greek but turns out to be Turkish. Yes. Who does not pay the spacer for its services but kind of philosophizes instead. Uh, They talk about perversion, desire, um, their relative sexualities. She takes the spacer home. Um, And she has porn on her bookcase. (laughs) Uh, She offers tasty treats, but the spacer wants something else. Neither of them know what. Um, The story ends with the spacer rejoining his platoon um, chums for too much beer and going up.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. So, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about Samuel R. Delaney and who he was and um, just a little bit about uh, the story where it appeared, when it appeared.
0: Sure, uh, who he is as well. I yeah. mean, he's still, he's 66, very active still as a writer and critic.
1: Yeah. Excuse me, Samuel R. <laughs> um
0: He's actually the only writer of the people we've done stories so far that I've met and interviewed. So um, he was uh, 25 when he wrote this. Mm-hmm. He just pretty much arrived... In a fairly stellar kind of way, as part of a new generation of writers, science fiction writers, his first success was a novel, which is really, really unusual because most writers started writing pulp sh- short stories in short story magazines when he went straight for a big pulp novel mm-hmm. and it was successful. Um, age 20, he was kind of a child prodigy. Um, Quite apart from anything else, although this wasn't known to his writers at the time, he was black and gay, which are two qualities which are are not common, or certainly weren't common among science fiction writers and probably readers uh, in the 50s and 60s. And this story, which I think was probably a breakthrough story for him, in a quite a specific way, was chosen as the concluding story in Harlan Ellison's uh, collection, Dangerous Visions, which was, uh, again, a kind of breakthrough project. Mm-hmm. I think, I'm not sure about this, but I think most of the stories in it were actually first published in the collection. I might be wrong. Some of them might have been collected from elsewhere. Um, but they were... Considered, they were aimed at at um, sort of taboo busting. Uh, oh, I don't know what the noun would be to that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> they they aimed to be taboo busting. Yeah. Um and.
1: And this uh, came out in nineteen sixty seven. Nineteen sixty seven. So yeah.
0: obviously, in zeitgeist terms, you know, there's lots of um, things changing in in the world in America, particularly. Um, this is the. Um, the central platform of the American wing of the New Wave, which Harlan Ellison is part of, Delaney is probably the poster child for, and there's a handful of other writers who were collected in this story. Some of them were more old school, but they were writing about they were writing about race, they were writing about sex, they were writing about violence, and it was uh, much more direct. I mean, all of these things had been broached before in science fiction, but often very elliptically just because of the sen- censorship, uh, censorious attitudes of the 50s and probably the um, slightly constrained tastes in certain respects of science fiction readers. And this generation were trying to uh, see how far they could go, really. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of noise about it. Uh, a lot of it was very experimental. Not so much in this collection, but other work that Delaney's done certainly since has been pretty demanding um, in terms of its content and sometimes in terms of its structure and style. Um, I, I said it was a breakthrough thing for him. I think it's
1: yeah. In 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 uh, what I respect? Think, I think just essentially the level because of fame he, that was, he got or
0: I think. Yes, partly. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it won a nebula. This and another story in the same year won nebula, which meant that he'd arrived at a certain sort of award-winning level of acceptance, which is very fast and very young. His, uh, his writing style was considered very... Um, well, it is this it, very dazzling, sort of brilliant style that he was totally in command of the language he was using in a way which... I don't think is true of certainly isn't true of all the writers we've we've looked at in this series, and uh, it, it's interesting. I mean, he actually there's a certain amount of resistance to his facility with language that you know you you occasionally see critics writing. Well,
1: I was going to ask you yeah. about that. I mean, did, did, when this story came out and when this collection came out, Dangerous Visions, that the story mm-hmm. appeared in, was it universal acclaim where people were just like, "Wow, this is fantastic! We moving our field forward," or, or. Were, was there I, resistance
0: I think, to it as well? I, I think both. I mean, it was... And if there they was resistance, where did They called where, where themselves did the new from? wave of science fiction, and there was an old school, an old guard, who were very hostile to it. I think... Why? Well, some of the subjects they were talking about, um, sex, particularly violence, um, but also, I think, from the more thoughtful critics, people... I mean, Brian Aldiss, for example, who's written a famous big critical volume on history of science fiction... Uh, trillion year spree is the the current title of it. it used to be called billion year spree, but he added some chances at the end <laughs> um inflation and uh he he has a you know a, a considered and and very smart critique of um uh delaney 's novels but it 's interesting that he he pretty much dismisses his short stories as all icing and no cake and he, he's not specifically talking about this one, but this one is always collected with the ones he is talking about. And it's, it's interesting because I think he kind of totally misses the point of it. But style and glitter and a, a kind of deliberately rhetorically bejeweled approach to writing is something that Delaney deliberately adopted... It comes, it derives from earlier writers. I think Robert Heinlein is is someone that was very important to him, but it's intensified and very focused.
1: There was something I found when uh, reading this story that I thought it was um, it was difficult, and I felt it didn't. This story didn't quite work as well uh, as a radio piece as some of the other stories that we've done. And I'm interested in what you guys think about why that might be. Um, personally, I think that it's. Partly because of this of the style that he uses, where he'll he'll make these sort of ellipses with the way that he writes, where he'll say um, that was one strategy," and then he'll he'll go mm-hmm. for a paragraph and then he'll say, "And that was another on the page that's easy to pick up the way that those things link together, but on the radio, you just hear one word at a time and it can be very hard to sort of cast your mind back to the thing that that Is connecting it that it's referring to that was a good 30 seconds ago yeah and (laughs) Um, it's the
3: shifting of first person third person direct dialogue isn't it uh and then suddenly you're in someone's head saying there's a strategy you know so it it is very true I thought you did a very good job of it the thing that struck me about your reading is that it was really different to the way I'd read it silently first to myself
1: how did you think of it when you (laughs) were reading it to yourself What, what was the difference
3: it's really interesting that Mark mentioned Aldiss because I read it like I first read Super Toys Last All Summer Long, which is as a very melancholic piece. So I think perhaps, you know, because I was feeling in that mood, <laughs> it's just possible that I, I brought that to the text, but it did seem to me to be very melancholic and um, maybe one of the reasons Aldous found the short stories difficult is that he he never comes out with a project. He never tells you what... The point of this story is... Aldous doesn't. No, no, um, Delaney doesn't. Oh, Delaney doesn't doesn't tell you. always does. I see. Uh, I think you can... Well, I feel I always know what Aldous is telling you about, um, why the short story exists and the the way it's structured, particularly that the structure will give you a very strong clue. And the structure in this is deliberately undermining, in a sense, your sense of security, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Well,
1: one paragraph you're in Istanbul, the next paragraph you're...
3: Exactly. You you come down somewhere else, yeah.
0: And, uh, I mean, a really interesting basic thing which i i didn't really notice until you were um doing the accents and doing the language is this a really subtle thing and and something Delaney would be fascinated about um that in French it's un <laughs> yeah and and it, it's not so even it's feminine in french and, yeah. uh, and yeah. but in spanish it's masculine it's, it's masculine. masculine and is mm-hmm. that because The prostitute in Mexico thinks he used to be a man, but I I can't remember what way around it is, but it's gendered. Yeah. And those are two languages, obviously, which are gendered up front. But English. Even a
1: table is gendered in in both of those languages. So so they have to assign something to it. Yes.
0: Whether or not it actually has a. Yeah. Is involved in sex. Well, that's, that's a bit of a leap, actually, but you know, <laughs> if, if he's willingly involved in sex, but, um,
1: v- Victoria, I just wanted to ask you. Um, you said that you you, you imagined the tone being very different. How how was the tone of um, of this reading uh, different from how you? Well, I you brought me up
3: to something that I think is actually here in the text. I think you 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 were right to read this high jinx into the text that that it's like I think I mentioned to you that I felt like you were representing the sort of youthful Iraqi soldiers <laughs> you know out there um, taking drugs you know listening to heavy rock and and building up their self confidence so that they can you know they can do ghastly acts um in the government's name. And somehow that made a lot of sense when I read the story through again. Mm, I thought, yes, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. actually Delaney is is definitely making spaces fit more into that category than I'd first thought. They're not the sort of whimsical, philosophical (laughs) characters (laughs) I'd first attributed because he, he knows he wants something. He gives him that much, doesn't he? But he doesn't know what on earth it is that he really wants, only that he is wanted or it is wanted and we don't know what it is either.
0: There's two, there's obviously kind of two levels of, or two types of intimacy and socialising going on. And one is the gang, mm. which I must say, I uh, always thought of as much more like a kind of Bass Street gang, really. <laughs> you know, yes, they drive rockets, but they're not uh, highly militarised. I just sort of think, you know, they're... Playing pranks on Mars, and then they come down to Earth, which, is, which I think is is not a very sensible reading of it. But I think the way they behave—that is, you know—they are kids, and they're not uh, being kids together is not enough for them. It's fine, you know, they have a good time, uh, make raising hell and going up in space, but they all seem to want more, but they find it very, very difficult to even address it between themselves and as soon as it comes up at all just on the sort of edge of a discussion it causes an argument which means they all have to go what does he say he says um sometimes it's necessary to to walk by yourself because Because being alone is so awful it's Um, this very paradoxical statement and and so what i take that to mean is that that there's a sense of Solitude and aloneness. When they're in a crowd together, that they're all feeling that, and actually, that's when they have to go off and do whatever it is they do.
1: So, so you saw, saw them as this sort of gang. You saw them as Iraqi soldiers. I saw them as as sailors. Uh-huh. I, I thought to to me that was the template that I that they're, they were drawn from, and that made me think of Jean Genet mm-hmm. and these these stories of, and I just imagine places like Marseille or just any port town, uh, you know was, you know, famous for the sailors would roll up and all hell would break loose. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that's sort of how I see them going from port to port and just sort of r- roughhousing. But there's this huge difference. Sailors were men, <laughs> you know, 99% <laughs> of the time. And they, uh, and they were, you know, famous for, um, you know, just being incredibly masculine and like uh, full of testosterone, et cetera. Now, these guys are not, well, the, because the they're reversal frelks.
3: is very important, isn't it? A sailor would come into port and pay for sex, yeah, or maybe have someone they had regular sex with; they didn't have to pay. Yeah, this is different. But they're this is the prostitutes. Absolutely reversed. They are a kind of prostitute. Well, what
1: are Frelks? Let's ask this question: What is a Frelk?
3: Yeah. Um, well, well
0: the, the Frelk is the person who is interested in the space.
1: Yeah. And, and the spacer is this gang, the spacer, sailor, the, Yeah, the spacer is the one person. we've been
0: talking about, right. about. You know, a sort of pirate stroke, bash street kid stroke, soldier stroke, you know. I mean, obviously, we don't have a very clear, exact idea. And that is part of the point and of the story. Often and, socially
1: retarded uh, as a child, in the, they say in the well, story. Well, sexually retarded. I mean, or it sounds sp- like it's, ser- it's a way. sort
0: of surgery, which, I, I mean, there is a little... Um, uh, there's actually a bit of a uh, real history of science here uh, interestingly enough that it was there was a very genuine worry about the degree of hard radiation that is in space and that how long could people um tolerate it and that the the conspiracy theory that people didn't actually go to the moon one of the main bits of evidence that is put forward is that they couldn't have gone they couldn't have gone to the moon even though everyone knows they did, if they did, because the hard radiation there is so high that they would just never have come back; they'd be dead there. So, that's so,
1: well, so, so their solution for spacers in this story is to neuter them,
0: so they can't have uh, mutated children mm-hmm. and wreak havoc with the population. And
1: then there are Frelks who are um, sort of treat the spacers like pop stars. Yeah. They have posters of them on their on their walls. They yes, worship th- them.
0: They're they're groupies. And yes, what do they what do they want from this? They want to spend time with them. They want to fantasize about them. They want to discuss them with their friends and um, swap stories and and uh, top trumps and you know uh, cigarette cards and <laughs> um, and. And that uh, that whole dimension of fandom is is very delicately mentioned. I I really like the bit where where she actually is already dreaming more um, uh, interestedly. It, of her discussion with her friends <laughs> <laughs> about him than she is about doing whatever before, she was planning to, he's, while he's, he's still even left. While he's still there, she's thinking, mm, I'm going to be talking about you soon. That's so cool.
1: Well, there's something very lonely about this, isn't there, from both well, sides?
3: isn't isn't there in, in a proper groupie? You know, if you think about Flight of the Concords with their one fan, um, I don't know if you know that oh. reference, but, the, you know, just the sense of having one fan... And that fan pours everything she has into it. And Sparky, telling me another story, which was about a fan of of a band who who then gets stalked in turn themselves. And there's <laughs> something like something like this wonderfully cyclical element to that, which isn't that really that you you're interested in spaces. You know, it's rather that they, obviously, they you know they're metaphors for and an interest. Well, oh, she
1: sa- She says at one point, she says that. Um she says, um, "She says that uh, she that he can't give her what she really wants."
3: Mm.
0: He, she also says this: um, "Her face came up; she glowed. You spin in the sky; the world spins under you, and you step from land to land while we we have our dull, circled lives, mm-hmm. bound in gravity, worshipping you." Mm-hmm. Which is, um, I think, it condenses the. Um, the sort of poetic reach of science fiction, almost science fiction in the abstract rather than the actual stuff, which I think is, in a sense, I think Delaney's breakthrough is recognising the enormous poetic and metaphorical power that this um, slightly sort of junior cousin of literature had impacted in it. And, I mean, lots of writers previously had recognised it on a practical level and had been operating with it. But that I think he was someone. He is someone who had the the right kind of gift and sensibility to step back and just go, "Whoa, there is so much here," and to and this is what this story is partly about. That it's about um, the enormous uh, romantic pull of the idea of space. Actually, at the moment when real actual rather workaday astronauts are sort of togging up in not very interesting clothes and going up in space and not being that interesting. So that the, the the material reality of the project brings it back down to Earth in a weird way. And he, at the last possible moment, he has this poetry of what it could really about, which is a new kind of sociality, a new kind mm-hmm. of sex, a new kind of world which we're just actually missing out on because we're putting the real project into, into being, and it's not going to be like that, is it?
1: Can I ask you guys about the title of this story? It's called I, A-Y-E, and Gomorrah. You now, The story of Sodom has been told a number of times in other places. Who's told the story? Well, first of all, what is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Can somebody run
0: that? Well, I think they are pretty much totally linked to each other. Mm. They were two cities right next to each other, mm. and um, all sorts of bad things got up, people got up to in them. So God decided to destroy them. But and was, you
3: find it both in Christian and Islam traditions.
0: Mm-hmm. But were, we know the story because there was one family who, um, you know, lived a righteous life as God saw it. So He let them escape and destroyed the cities behind them. Um, and the the guy who escaped was called Lot, and his wife looked back longingly at the city and got turned into a pillar of salt, and etc. Right. And um, it's
3: true that you don't get much on Gomorrah. You know, no, because they lived anything, in
0: Lot lived in Sodom, not Gomorrah. But mm. no, it's, we it's, all know what Sodomites do, but what yeah. do, what, what do
1: Gomorans do? <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. I really want to know the answer to that question because it might get us a bit closer to what this perversion is that they talk about in the story. You know, she freely admits the Frelk, which I think it might be a word like freak Mm -hmm. in a different reading. She freely admits that she's perverted. And there are lots of references to...
1: If any of our listeners out there know what Gamorans do...
3: there's a uh, Yeah, they could uh, let us know. At at the
1: beginning of the the
0: collection, which I have this story in, which, weirdly enough, isn't Dangerous Visions, because my version of Dangerous Vision doesn't have this story in for some strange reason... Um, But in the collection of Delaney um, stories, there's a complete poem, which I assume is by him, uh, which goes, I, there was destruction, my God, my God, and burning, and death, and the sounds of death and burning. Was Sodom destroyed? I, and Gomorrah, to six six miles around it, the rivers beneath it boiled in the street, the mountain vomited rock in the orchards, and no one now may live upon the place. Oh, my city, what city can I found? Where now must I go to make a home? Oh, that Sorry, that poem is in... It's, it's the epigraph to the whole collection of short stories. Oh, I see. But I don't know if it was part of the story as it was in Dangerous Visions, because I don't have it in Dangerous <laughs> Visions. And I don't know who wrote it, although I assume Delaney did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I mean, it's... For him, Gamora is the... The destruction of Gomorrah, whatever they got up to, is the pretext for going out and making a home and I mean I think the thing one of the things which uh we should you know make a um quite a strong point about in terms of delaney's own life is that not only was he gay, but he was um, very, very actively gay at a point in New York history where it still wasn't, you know, legal or accepted or anything. Pre-Stonewall pre- was very.
1: Uh, it wasn't even necessarily cool. then.
0: No, and it, and I don't think that's how you know he found it was part of a, a fascinating, obsessive adventure for him, and and one of the things that he clearly uh loves about it is just the endless encounters with with people it's a
3: very good sister project to sci-fi actually isn't it which is a, a medium that has always embraced sort of abnormal psychologies sexual deviancies as often used metaphorically but nonetheless very much about not just sexual deviation but dysfunction in quite constructive ways so there's a paradox in the way she describes herself as perverted, which I find really interesting, because she's not, in a sense, neither of them are. They're just part of their society. And, you know, like aliens as metaphors for race relations, it's not that simple in this story at all, is it? It really overcomplicates it, in a sense, so that you're left um, well, wondering th- who the sexual predator is, for instance. Yes. yeah, and
0: who the outsider actually yeah. is. yeah, and, uh, and I think it's very, very delicately balanced in that sense that you cannot um you can't work out who you identify with and uh, and i mean the the assumption is that there must be a predator because as soon as a sort of economic
3: mm. element Exchange. Yeah. Uh,
0: arrives in sex then well, this is an that, interesting
1: point about this story isn't it that, the, that that it 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 introduces sex as um as um something
3: as an exchange. Yes, and where he says he wants something something that means something to you mm. when they get past the idea of money you start thinking w- what does he want now, you know, that, that's yes. quite creepy and that's, that's a really excellent point of unease for the reader I think, isn't it, because the, the usual sexual exchange is right I'll, I'll get, you know, I'll pay you or I'll get paid for services rendered and this becomes something different like you're going to have to give me one of your loved trinkets yeah, I'm going to go back to your place and it will be something that means something to you. And so yeah, so some-
1: it's not just – it's not simply the commodification of exactly. sex. It's sort of the sexualization of well, it, commodities. I think,
0: yeah, I yeah. think it, it's yeah. yes, it, it, it's certainly those aspects of it. But it's also that part, I think, of the, um, the allure of flight in, in the sort of science fiction sense or – of uh cruising Mm. for want of a better word in the sexual sense is the escape from the that you're somehow escaping from the cash nexus with the knowledge that wherever you get to and decide you know this is your home that it will be it comes with you and that the home that you find is actually going to end up as your sort of niche marketed prison that you yes. make for yourself
3: and Be- that fits it with the beat generation writing really doesn't it y- yes. with Kerouac yeah. and, and Burroughs you know the whole in what way well the whole sort of libertine circle I suppose the, the sense in which you um, um, you're working with uh, sexual predation as a, as a liberal concept but also one in which you face the worst kind of traps so mm-hmm. a lot of that writing sort of struggles with that paradox. And um, I, I, I felt a lot of that in the story, although it's not essentially very surrealist or or he, he, out there.
0: <laughs> he would be of an age where he had read that stuff as a mm. teenager obsessively. And like I say, he was kind of a child prodigy. He would have read mm. all of Genet, all of Burroughs mm. that was available. I mean, Burroughs perhaps less so because it wasn't so available. Um and but what he wanted to do was write about spaceships and <laughs> and what he did do was write about spaceships but from this story on he he then writes you know quite extensive novels exploring uh aspects of quite curious and sometimes quite difficult sexuality mm. and um and also gets very caught up in the project of post structuralism as a critic which is you know um something which is alienating for many readers <laughs> yes. for completely another reason not because yikes this is sex i don't want to even think about but this is you know hard to read or think about and maybe not very elegant kind of language I, I think he is always an elegant writer but he is he is writing about concepts that people are quite often quite allergic to um as a critic and uh Yes, I think that he actually flowered as a writer just at the point where the Beatnik project was was being subsumed in the general turmoil of the 60s and turned very much into something that was being nostalgised rather than...
3: Yeah, Yeah, but I remember Kerouac describing the genre and saying it's a synthesis of the beaten down and the beatific or beautific... And that is, a, in a sense, the same kind of synthesis that comes through the short story, isn't it? That there's no straight answer. It is It is this beautiful poetry of being somebody who's in freefall, and yet that's someone else's displacement com- complex. Mm. Mm.
0: They're, they're all his heroes, or the central figures, certainly up to this point, around about now, are all sort of poets who are also pirates, who are, you know, in gangs, roving gangs. <laughs> it... Young, beautiful um
3: I think Eli was on there with the genet actually <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yes, <laughs> yeah,, yeah. <laughs>
0: but written from they're not because in Genet they're not usually the the center that you identify, it's written from inside them very often, I mean, Delaney was that, he was the he was the character that Genet would write about. Except he was super smart, quite scientific in in his sort of um, processing of things, you know. Delaney like, Delane yeah. was, yeah, and uh, is,
3: and he's still al- he's and still st- alive and healthy after an entire lifetime of. Uh, uh, sexual. <laughs> <of> hijinks, <yes. laughs> sexual hijinks yes sexual hijinks good for him fantastic him. Some, something i re-
1: I mean you, you said that
0: he uh, yes he's a very and you know I'm, i have to say he is a totally a charming man and someone is a delight to interview so he i mean
1: yeah i like what what you said about how if i'm did i hear you right when you say that he's he writes sort of from the inside of his character's
0: I think that I think the thing, this story, but but other stories as well. the the uh, the character is only dimly aware of the potency of their own attractiveness. They don't really get what it is about them. You know, they know they can do this stuff. Uh, I, in Nova, for example, the. I can't even remember the name of the hero, but I I think he's a he's a fantastic musician. Novas one of uh, Novas Delaney's one novels. of the novels from around this sort of time, mm-hmm. but he's also you know a sort of space pirate poet, drifter, etc. And I think the the sense of loss and puzzlement is written from within that that he had sort of arrived and was this fantastically dazzling and you know physically gorgeous. Young black man, incredibly desirable, but that his project was somehow at odds with the project all all of his. Reader fans, the editors of the magazines. Yes,
3: show Eli that picture of him on, on your book. He's
0: just he's drop
3: n- dead gorgeous. Oh, yes. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. there's
0: nothing that is. Um, <laughs> all I've seen oh. is these pictures of him was his enormous with white beard. beard. Yeah, yeah, well,
3: that's now that's now on Wikipedia. I recommend everyone go way back. Good God, um, people. and look at him. What date would that be?
0: Uh, that's from the very early sixties. Right. Boy, that's yeah. that's almost uh, illegal there. Isn't it though? There, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That it's the cut, co- what, what is, we're looking just, at, just, and what we're, we're teasing say, you
1: with, yes, we're, we're, listeners. I'm looking is, at the, the cover here of uh, The Motion of Light and Water, East Village Sex and Science Fiction Writing, 1960 to 1965, and it's got a beautiful black and white picture of. I mean, this is the young Samuel R. Delaney <laughs> yeah. uh, holding an acoustic guitar and looking right at <laughs> you yeah. like a like a fashion shoot. I mean, he's really it's and the a, guitar
3: is only hiding, you know, in yes. in a naturist camp, <laughs> hiding the important parts. <laughs> you
1: can't see that there's anything but the guitar there, really. Yeah, and uh, he's a stunner.
3: Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah.
1: and and but it, it and that
3: helped me because I I didn't. An interesting thing about this is that I didn't really think of him as gorgeous, the central character. No, me neither. And, and I found it quite difficult when she was doing stuff like resting her head on, on the couch where his bum had been. I was <laughs> <you know, laughs> thinking, um, why? why would you do that? And it helped a great deal to see how gorgeous he was. And then it reminded me, of course, of that whole business of, you know, the, just the gorgeous other, you know, the sense of celebrity and uh, our chosen one.
1: Yeah, I really got the sense in the story that he's someone the the character isn't someone who just doesn't he doesn't know himself. No. And no. he um he's like a child he's she He's like says. a child as mm. she as she mm. says, yeah. And and he and he um he's full of bluster and he's full of you know overconfidence in a way. Um but it gets so emo, <laughs> you know, when they're together. And when they, – you know, he 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 doesn't he has he has this sort of tough exterior where where he where he sort of talks about fighting and yelling and breaking windows mm. and stuff like mm. that. But then when he gets in the room with them, he's not a tough guy. With with her, yeah. he's not a tough
0: guy at all. Well, surely this is true of all sailors and, soldiers <laughs> and pirates. <laughs> 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 that when they find the. You know the one. Then suddenly they're just a little child. Yeah, the the one, <laughs> the
3: Nonsense.
1: one, the one, the one who happened to look back
3: on Nonsense. the street. It's because he goes into her space. I mean, I think that's well written. In a sense, they write in he. The first line is marscapes, moonscapes, and on her easel is stuff she's painting. You know, the stuff he's seeing, no doubt, or it's seeing on um on these journeys and he's space. he's
1: disgusted by it but flattered by it, it at the same yeah, time
3: yeah it's really bizarre isn't it which i suppose again that would if you were that pop star and found yourself in your stalker's flat you would have precisely those feelings
0: be very torn but i think yeah i mean the thing that he's looking for is maybe the explanation of it himself and what it is about him? Isn't that what Biddy. everyone's looking for when they <laughs> yeah, try this to? This
3: bloody <laughs> story doesn't tell you either, does it? Because you you're sort of thinking, so if they do it, you know, you it does intrigue you, obviously, because well, you are wondering if they well, if they haven't got bits? What bits? Well, well, what non bits will they rub together? <laughs> and because he never specifies, it's, no. we're all left sexually frustrated.
1: <laughs> well, um, thank you, uh, Victoria Dereka and Mark thank Sinker. You. Uh, That is all the time we have. Uh, I'm Elisha Sessions. And this has been A Bite of Stars, A Slug of Time, and Thou.
2: Out of our line, we will ever see the light of day. But nothing out of our line, we will ever see the light of day. So We've been away and rejoicing another. We'll never feel. A Charlie beefed up to a battering ram So please, someone, tell him what I want and who I am When they look so like a girl, it's easy to swallow And it's one notch on my arm toward a broader tomorrow And if the future's looking grim I can just take hold of him and say Nothing out of our line, sweetie Will ever see the light of day Nothing out of our line, sweetie We'll ever see the light of day see the light of day nothing out of our line sweetie. we'll ever see the light of day nothing out of our line sweetie. we'll ever see the light of day nothing out of our line sweetie. we'll ever see the light of day.